My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Oz. It's Friday the 27th of January. I'm Sam. And I'm Zara. As you might know, I have spent the last couple of weeks here down in Melbourne at the Australian Open. And we've had an interesting role as part of the Australian Open infrastructure, and that's to provide some journalism and to provide some insights into pride and diversity at the tournament. What that actually has involved is speaking to some big names across tennis, across politics and across society as to the place of these conversations in sport. The power dynamic is pretty risky. The progress that's been made. I've never felt anything but valued. But also the problems that need fixing. I still think there's a lot of issues. Sport is both at the forefront of positive change and also the showcase of the worst parts of our community. On today's podcast, I want to share some of what I've learned from those conversations. But first, Ara, let's get the news out of the way. What's making headlines? Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has said he's received, quote, enormous feedback from community organisations about the proposed voice to parliament, which is expected to go to a referendum later this year. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has continued to put pressure on Albanese to release further detail on The Voice, saying that Australians are unsure what the Prime Minister is talking about. The Australian Open will come to an end this weekend with the finals of the Grand Slam. The winner of the men's and women's singles will each take almost $3 million home in winnings, with the runners-up to pocket $1.6 million. That's not bad for coming second. Netflix is planning to begin its crackdown on password sharing by March. The company will move to a paid sharing option in the first quarter of this year for those who still want to share their account with someone outside their household. And your Friday good news, US skier Michaela Schifrin has claimed her 84th Women's World Cup win, cementing her place as the most successful female alpine skier in history. Schifrin now only needs two more World Cup wins to match the record of Sweden's Ingemar Stenmark, who holds the record of most career titles among both men and women's competition. And I will just add there that she is only 27. So if you come in the Australian Open, walk past Rod Laver Arena up the stairs, you'll see the Daily Oz Pride Hub. And what that is, is a physical structure that we've used over the last couple of weeks to engage people, both fans, tennis players, politicians, a whole range of people in a meaningful conversation about pride issues and gender representation in sport. It was really great to be asked by Tennis Australia to be involved with this project and we were paid for it. And I think that's really important for everybody to know listening to this, but we haven't been paid for this podcast. And this is a chance for me to reflect on some of the lessons that I've learned. Sam, having now spent the better part of two weeks conducting these interviews day in, day out, what's your key takeaway? I think overall, there's a clear effort within tennis, especially at this Grand Slam, to ensure that pride conversations and diversity and inclusion is top of mind, not only for players, but for fans, for event organizers, for umpires, for medical staff and the teams that are around the players. And I think all of that is leading sport in the right direction. 
But despite all the positive things that we talked about over the last two weeks, it's clear that there are still some serious issues that exist within the sport. And it sounds like within Australian sport more generally. And I think the thing that struck me this week is that there's no out male tennis player on the circuit. We've had a couple of players who have come out after they've retired, but we haven't had somebody engage in male tennis and be open about their sexuality. And that to me is the real prohibitive factor in progress in the sport. I mean, I had a fantastic chat with Casey Delacqua, who is a very highly acclaimed women's tennis player, and she's out and she came out as a player. I came out when I was ready to come out in a sport that I felt very comfortable in with, um, you know, everyone involved. So that doesn't mean to say it was probably easy, but Mm. I do think that you just have that um, decision for yourself. What's your take on the um, presence of LGBT discussions in sport in Australia in general? Is tennis got more to do in terms of being at the top or do you feel like tennis is leading the way? I think tennis leads the way in a lot of ways. Be cool. Awesome. (laughs) Love it. But I think that's just, I'm just fortunate that I guess from lived experience, right? So I've had that, um, I'm talking about tennis here in Australia, I've had lived experience of being around leadership teams and people within organisations that have really given me every opportunity based on who I am and not Mm. because of it. I've never felt anything but valued because of who I am and what I do, not because of my sexuality. How do we get the male side of the tournament to be more open about these discussions? Yeah, I think there only needs to be one, right, where they set that example and be that role model. And, you know, I think, you know, hopefully we're getting to a place where they might feel comfortable to do so. We just obviously haven't seen that yet um, on the men's side. I think other sports, we've seen some great examples. Mm. So I know for myself, there's definitely um, value in knowing that someone's done it before you, whether it be Billie Jean King or, you know, Mm. for me, those type of women that had come out. So I think definitely having that role model to look out to makes, that's why you do it, right? Like that's why I wanted to do it was so that um, if there's someone else out there that felt like they just wanted to be themselves or be who they were, that they had someone to look up to who had done it. We'll be back right after this. One of the chats uh, that we were both excited for, actually, was with Kate Jenkins, who is, of course, the Sex Discrimination Commissioner here in Australia. Uh, You might remember her because the Jenkins report was uh, the report that looked at sexual harassment in Parliament But she was talking to you about Pride here and about the progress or lack thereof in this space, right? Yeah, and when I did a bit of digging, she's somebody who's written a lot about discrimination in sport. She presided over an inquiry into trans inclusion in sport in 2019. This year coming up, she's the ambassador for the Women's World Cup here in Australia. She's also done a report into sexual harassment and assaults within Gymnastics Australia. So she's got a really wide-ranging lens through which to look at these issues. And her key message was that sport is a human right. There's only one or two people can who can win the Australian Open. But actually, as a community, all of us have physical and mental health needs. And uh, the United Nations recognises that access to sport should be something that's available for everyone. And, and we know as a community we're better if everyone is able to access sport. So the reason I've really got involved you know, and we're in Australia, is um, that if you want to advance human rights, you go to where people are 
and sport is where people are, both participants but also parents and spectators. We've mm. all kind of got some sort of connection with sport. And so if you want to change Australia, you know, you change sport and you've pretty much changed the country. And in some ways sport is often the precursor to more social change. I mean, it's where we first see, you know, incredible representation of First Nations issues and athletes and voices. It can often be on the sporting field before politics. Do you find that that is happening with pride as well? So I think sport is both at the forefront of positive change and also the showcase of really the worst parts okay. of our community. Um, and I think particularly racism has mm. had a big conversation both about what we can do positively but what we're not doing well. In terms of pride, mm. I have I was the Victorian Human Rights Commissioner before I was the Sex Discrimination Commissioner. When I was in Victoria, I was involved with launching the first globally the first transgender guidelines and I think you probably know um, that the Human Rights Commission in 2019 launched our national guidelines on inclusion of transgender people in sport and those guidelines were really to say you know what the, there are laws about at those highly competitive top end and how we've got great laws on strength, yeah. stamina, stamina and physique that allow for the fairness uh, but in practice most people are not at that level, mm. most people just want to play footy or soccer or tennis or whatever they want to play and clubs can do better. Sam, one of the things that we discuss after every single one of your interviews uh, is this big question that you're asking all of them, all of the interviewees, and it is, should there be a Pride Hub in 50 years' time? And I think some of the responses to this have been really interesting. Yeah, I'm talking to people who are quite good at media and they do a lot of these types of interviews. But this is the question that I have been asking right at the end that seems to stump them a little bit. I mean, I even asked Craig Tiley and he's the CEO of Tennis Australia. Yeah. 50 years time, AO 2073. Mm. Should there be a Pride Hub? No. T tell me about that. Um, because hopefully there's no prejudice in people's minds. And or in people's behaviours, and I think I'd be disappointed if um, if fifty years long time. So I'd say even sooner. <laughs> I'd be disappointed if we weren't uh, kind of in that in that in that frame of mind and that and that and that action. On one side, people say that there shouldn't be a Pride Hub and an event like this in 50 years' time because that's a sign that we're still needing to draw attention to the issue and it's not just part of normal sport and normal society. And I think that's a really valid point in that, you know, we're drawing a lot of focus and attention onto this physically. I mean, we've got a, a beautiful structure and we've got Pride activities throughout the tournament and that's because there's a problem and it's a problem that we as a sporting community and as Australia are trying to fix. On the other side of the equation, another theme that came through was just how much joy the Pride Hub and Pride activities brings people at the tournament. This is what Casey Delacqua had to say. I think if we don't see it, I think that will be a positive thing, right? Mm. Because really, why do we do this work so that we just, it's not a almost an issue in a way. It's yeah. we all are. But then like seeing, um, you know, some of the entertainment and the fun that comes along with having like a Pride Hub, I think it's pretty cool and yeah. fun and exciting. And we've always got to make sure that we keep that uptake of these type of things so that we make our sport accessible to all. It has been a big couple of weeks for you, Sam, but very important conversations have been had and I think oftentimes people say that politics needs to get out of sport, but 
uh, I personally believe that that is impossible. And so it's good to be having those big conversations uh, in the context of the great game of tennis. So thank you and thanks for joining us today. If you learned something from Sam's analysis of the Australian Open, send it to a friend. We'll be back in your ears on Monday. Have a great weekend. 